In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father in heaven, thank you for your son Jesus, who not only was perfectly obedient, but perfectly obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, who suffered for us and who suffers with us. Please, Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and our hearts. Lord, let us hear you in this wilderness time. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good evening. It's Lent, but that doesn't mean you can't smile or be in town on the four-day weekend or three-day weekend. It's good to see all of you. For those of you who are left in town, I'm glad that you're here on this President's Day weekend. Well, we have begun the season of Lent, and it is a little more austere. It's forced austerity. So you'll notice we have different colors. Purple does not mean, as some very bright young person asked me, does this mean I'm a purple belt? You know what? Actually, I'm not far from a purple belt, one of my many hidden talents. Um, no, this is a, this is a color of penitence. Uh, it's a reminder of the sorrow and the travail and the suffering that Jesus, um, took upon himself, not only in his fasting and temptation, but also in his slow, slow, long journey to Jerusalem and to the cross. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, sweating drops of blood, literally having the weight of the sin of the world, the weight of the wrath of God upon him. So we remember that in color. So you remember that ordinary time is the color green, and that's a sign for growth. And now we're in the season of penitence. And it's kind of a forced wilderness. It's kind of a time where maybe you've, maybe you've given something up for Lent. Maybe you've said, you know what, I'm not going to eat this or drink that, or I'm not going to do this thing or that thing. Or maybe you've taken on a discipline. If you were here at Ash Wednesday, we talked about some of the spiritual disciplines that help us turn down the volume and that help us create some space. Fasting. Gosh, nobody likes fasting. I was just telling Chris the other day, man, I hate fasting. He said, Jay, nobody likes fasting. I said, I really stink at it. He said, yeah, everybody stinks at it. So thank you, Chris. He's always so affirming to me. Fasting, almsgiving. So out of your great uh, abundance, seeing a need and, and meeting that need in the moment. And prayer. Remember, Jesus urged his followers as he's going about throughout Galilee, constituting a new people, which we're going to look at in a moment, as he's going about teaching and preaching, particularly on this, this Sermon on the Mount, he says, and when you pray, don't pray in the street corner or in the synagogues to be, not be notified, notified for the notoriety of people, but pray, go in your room, in your closet, and pray in secret, and your Father who hears in secret will reward you. So we submit ourselves to these practices, to these disciplines, so that Hopefully, by God's grace, we can turn down the volume. At least this is my theme for Lent. It doesn't have to be your theme. Turn down the volume 
and make some space. Because I really, guys, I really need to hear God speak. And I can do that in the Bible, yes. But I want to hear God speak like Elijah. Do you remember when Elijah was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? And God said, okay, I'm going to pass by. And he's in this cave on Mount Horeb. And God passes by in a wind and then in a storm and or fire, then in an earthquake. But God wasn't in any of those things. But God was in what followed, which was a thin silence or a still small voice. Now, a hyperactive, nonstop kind of guy like me needs the thin silence, needs the still small voice. So that's what I'm going for in this season of the wilderness. Jesus is about to step into the region of Galilee. But before he does that, he has to come from Galilee into the wilderness. Now, he's going to conduct his ministry. He's going to begin calling people to himself, men and women to follow him. And in particular, he calls these 12 men. And we've looked at that. Bartholomew was one of those. And as we're in this season of becoming St. Bart's, moving from All Saints East Dallas into becoming our own church and becoming St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church, we've looked at those different disciples. But before Jesus can constitute this new Israel, what will become the church? Before he can go preach and teach, before he can build his community and demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God, that is the message that he's about to preach, he has to go do a couple of things. First, he has to go to the wilderness. Now notice, if you have your bulletin there, or maybe even if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1, your bulletin, it's on page 5, I think. What you don't see if you don't have your Bible is that Mark mentions all of these different regions or areas. He mentions wilderness twice. He mentions Judea and Jerusalem. And that John the Baptist is that one, that voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist, he's a little bit off. Maybe, you know, just not, he's not really connecting. You look at him in the eye and it's not quite right. But he's the guy preaching and proclaiming it. And he's baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. And before Jesus can inaugurate this new people, before he can build this community that's marked by closeness and the fact that God wants these people, and this community that's marked by the power of God, where you read in the rest of Mark in this, these first chapters that he's going to drive out unclean spirits. He's going to heal people of grave illnesses. Before that can happen, Jesus has to be baptized. But he's not baptized in any old place. He's baptized in the wilderness. Now, notice what it says in verse 9 about Jesus. What, how does it describe Jesus? And then there was this guy, Jesus, who came from where? Nazareth and Galilee. And remember how we've talked about Galilee? It's the place that's off the beaten path. It's in the hinterland. There's no political power. There's no conspicuous wealth. There's no gatekeepers or influencers. It's just Galilee. Sorry, guys. One commentator says it was marked by an unpromising uh, status and a disinterest in the law. <laughs> so I'm like a C student, maybe. That's Galilee. And that's where Jesus comes from. So we're like, oh, I'm sure he's going to be great. Another one of those winners from Galilee. 
But Jesus comes to the wilderness. And the wilderness in the Old Testament is a place of testing. It's really a place where the people of God are judged and found wanting. Remember, they put God to the test. Psalm 95 says it so powerfully. It's this beautiful, almost pastoral psalm that in in our tradition, the Anglican tradition, we say every morning in morning prayer, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Yada, 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 yada. And then at the end, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did at the day at Meribah when they put me to the test. So the wilderness, a little scary, It's a place of testing and a place where the people of Israel proved that they are not equal to the task of being the son of God. Remember when God makes that covenant with Israel at Sinai, I am your God and you will be my people. You are like my son, O Israel. Those ten words, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that's what we recited tonight. Israel proved unequal to the task just as we are. So Jesus goes to the wilderness. Now think about your own life. Have you had seasons of wilderness? Seasons of wandering, or it feels like wandering? Seasons where it feels like aimlessly, I'm going to this thing. And now I'm going to this thing. And why don't I just head over here? What the heck? I'm in the wilderness. Or maybe it's a season that's marked in your mind or your heart, or maybe just your spirit, just the air you breathe, just it seems thinner. It seems like it's a, it's a place of deprivation. A place where nothing is blessed, but most things seem cursed. A place where, were it not for God's provision that you may even be blind to, you would think that you were completely utterly and totally abandoned by God. That's the wilderness. And that's where Jesus goes. And he goes there because Israel could not be obedient. So Jesus says, in a way, through through the symbol of his baptism, even though I have never sinned and never will sin, I submit to this action that says I'm repenting of my sin. Does that make sense? Do you all see the irony of Jesus being baptized? Because John's baptism was for those who were sinful. But Jesus is one who was not sinful. So he comes from Galilee, a place full of people who are overlooked and forgotten, who are maybe at best C-plus students. And he goes to the wilderness, to the Jordan River, that place where Israel entered into the land. So Jesus goes back to the beginning. And when he's baptized, what do we see happen? Immediately as he comes up out of the water, coming down from the heavens is the Spirit of God like a dove. But notice the violent language that Mark uses. Mark's kind of a violent guy. I feel like Mark is, he's the Homer the Iliad and Homer of the gospel writers. You know, some, you can see some late bronze age, you know, spears, piercing skulls, etc., This is Mark. So the heavens are rent open and the dove comes down and it's the Holy Spirit. And and the dove comforts Jesus and sings a song to him and he finds his way and goes to Jerusalem and everything's great. Absolutely not. 
what does the dove do immediately? The Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Now, that choice of words by Mark makes me think of like when, when Jesus later in this gospel would drive out demons from people or drive out diseases from people. So it's almost like this action that as soon as Jesus says, I will, I will acknowledge the disobedience of all people everywhere, namely Israel, I will acknowledge that. I will receive this baptism. In another gospel, he says, it's, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. There's a real gentleness in Jesus' obedience by being baptized by his cousin. But in this moment of saying, I will take this sin upon myself, he's not immediately comforted. He doesn't immediately get to go back up to Galilee to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. First, he must be tempted. There's a great line in the great litany, which is a, it's a, a litany is just a, a list of prayers, a long prayer. And the great litany is in our prayer book, just the really long list of prayers. But there's one set called an obsecration. And an obsecration basically asks for deliverance based upon an appeal to some saving action of God, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. And there's one obsecration, and as I was reading this passage, it just made me think of that, because you say, uh, by thy holy incarnation, by thy nativity and submission to the law, by thy uh, baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord, deliver us. You see, friends, when Jesus went into the wilderness fasting and being tempted by Satan, he went before us. He knew that some, at some point, sometime in our lives, we would be following in his footsteps, that we would go to a place of deprivation, of severe lack, a place where that we would be forced, because it doesn't always, we don't always agree to going to the wilderness, do we? I remember wandering, with an A, wandering. I'm from West Texas, so sometimes my words get mixed up and I just don't say things well. I remember wandering for almost a decade. And, it, and God took me from near McKinney, Texas, uh, up to the panhandle, then over to another part of the panhandle, then all the way over here to northeast Florida, only to come back to Dallas County. And I thought, really, God? Did it really take that long for me to travel 30 minutes down Central Expressway? It is, it is funny. It's funny now. Thank you, Micah. But Jesus says, I go before you into the wilderness. I am fasting for you. I don't know if you're in a season of wilderness right now, or maybe there's a season of past wilderness that you can reflect on. But it's a time where Jesus has gone before you. Now, I want to show you some pictures. Now, I promised I wouldn't do this, but this is like my little slideshow from Israel. One place that we went to in Israel, go ahead and put the first one up there, Eric. One place that we went was in the wilderness, in the River Jordan where Jesus was baptized. And there, as you can imagine, there, there's razor wire everywhere, but there's also churches and monasteries. And then we went to the city of Jericho, and above Jericho on a mountain 
is the Mount of Temptation. And back in the late 90s, a Swiss company built a a tram that went up to the top of this mountain. Now, in the late 19th century, Orthodox monks built, the Orthodox Church built a monastery, and it's the monastery of the Mount of Temptation. So I just wanted to give you a picture of what this looks like, and, and they believe that this is the place where Jesus prayed and fasted, experienced the temptation where the angels ministered to him. So this is the mountain of temptation. And you may think, wow, I don't see any trees or anything. That's exactly right. It is so barren. It is, it's almost depressing. Go to the next one there, Eric. So there's the monastery. Do you see it stuck up on the side of the rocks there? It's fascinating because these Orthodox monks now go out there and pray. And they stay alone. And they have the cave where they think Jesus was. And that's set aside. So we had to take this tram. This is like halfway up the tram. Go to the next one. And so here's a, here's a little passageway. So on the left is the side of the cliff. And which, by the way, I was trying to take this all in, in the moment. But I really couldn't because every now and then I get terrified of heights. And the tram was okay, but it was like the winding, scissoring path up the side of the cliff that we had to walk after the tram. So here's part of the inside of the monastery. Go to the next one. There's another doorway. So it's really tranquil and really beautiful. Go to the next one. You can't can't really tell. But on the bottom half, there there is the rock that they believe that Jesus sat on as he fasted as he waited, as angels ministered to him. Now, whether or not that's the real rock, it is a reminder that this is not just a story to help us when we're having a hard time, when life's tough, when life's got you down. Jesus is God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he didn't live this cushy life where he had everything he wanted. He wasn't like Superman. He submitted himself to 40 days and 40 nights in a place that is scary as all get out. And Mark says he was out there with the wild animals. That's not some kind of like, oh, you know, the animals are like coming up to Jesus and here you go, Jesus, there's an olive branch. No, in the wilderness motif, that represents disorder. This is a place of chaos. The wild animals were not friendly. Go to the next one. And now here you see the vantage point. So there we are on top of the Mount of Temptation, looking down onto the city of Jericho. Isn't that wild? And you see at the top of the horizon, you see the desert. That's exactly what it is. It's a desert. That's the wilderness. And just beyond that, you see some more green on the horizon. That's the Jordan River. So Jesus was brought out into this place on our behalf to go into the wilderness before us. Now, Jesus not only went into the wilderness before us, but he goes into the wilderness with us. In those seasons where we don't feel like there are any answers, 
when we don't feel like there's any clarity, when, we don't, when it doesn't seem like there's any room to breathe, period, Jesus is with us. And it's not just because, well, of course Jesus is with us, Jay, because he said in, in the farewell discourse in John's gospel, I will be with you always, even, you know, because I'm sending the helper. That's not, I, yeah, I get that. That's true. But he knows what it means to suffer, to learn sonship. You see, the Father pronounced over him as the heavens were rent open and the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove. The Father pronounces upon him, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. But Jesus didn't get to just receive that and then go skipping along his merry way. He had to go immediately into the wilderness. Because why? The Spirit drove him there. Wait a minute, Jay. The Spirit... The Spirit leads us into all truth. and Yes, He does. And sometimes there are lessons that we can only learn. Sometimes there are things that will only be purged from us in the wilderness. There was a wilderness period that I experienced recently. And it was funny because Amy and I were out, with, out at dinner with friends last night. And we talked about it. And it kind of brought a lot of things back up to the surface for me. I was mugged um, about three or four years ago by four young men. And, and some of you, I know, have experienced the exact same thing, so I know you can identify with this. But for me, it was, it was really traumatizing, but I didn't know it. And this happened in August, and about six months later, I just had all these pains in my gut and my stomach, and I thought I had a kidney stone, and I went, all, I went to all these doctors, and, you know, there were no answers and I was also having panic attacks. And this was a time when I was transitioning from being the worship leader at All Saints Dallas to preparing to plant a church that would be All Saints East Dallas. That's now becoming St. Bartholomew's. So, and I, was, I would be leading worship and I would be having these panic attacks like, oh no, am I going to faint? And friends, that was, a, that was a real difficult wilderness time for me. And I felt completely alone. And one day, sitting on my couch on my street near where I was robbed, um, I had that pain in my gut. And then the Lord almost spoke. It's almost like the, maybe not the heavens weren't rent open, but maybe like a little crack in the heavens. And the Lord just gave me some awareness that said, this, this has to do with you being robbed. And so... having friends and family that have experienced trauma, I went into a sort of kind of prayer of healing. And I took myself back to that place that night, but like sort of like an observer. So my neighbor and I, Tobin and I, some of you know Tobin, um, I was, we were there and the guys got out of the car and they had their guns and I was just watching. I was like, and I just said, okay, Lord, show me where you were. And I that's when I realized I felt totally abandoned. I felt like God was like, well, on your own. Because you know what happened when I saw those guys drive up? I started praying. And I just expected something to happen. Good. But it didn't. And then as I realized the lie that I had believed, that I believed that God had abandoned me, I said, Lord, show me where you were. And I saw myself on the ground in the fetal position. I have no pride, so I'm just telling you now. I did grow up with guns, so I know what a gun can do. 
And I got down on the ground in the fetal position, and I was like this. And, and looking at the scene, I saw hovered around me an angelic divine being in my prayer. And in that moment, I realized that I wasn't alone. That God did not abandon me. In fact, God was shielding me in a divine way that I was completely unaware of. And probably the perpetrators were completely unaware of. In fact, I only learned a couple of years later that the second gunman had his gun right back up on the back of my head like this. And when Tobin told me that, I almost fell over because I realized that God had protected me. But I needed that season of pain, of literally gut-wrenching pain. I needed that time of testing because without it, I would still find ways to strive to prove that I'm a son of God. I would still find ways to strive to make God love me and make God prove himself to me when I already know he does perfectly. And more than that, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness. Jesus experienced that same abandonment, that same isolation. You can only imagine as we look ahead to Good Friday, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, Jesus was forsaken so that we don't have to. Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself so that we don't have to bear our sins. He walks into the wilderness with us so that we don't have to go alone. So as you move into a place of chaos, maybe this season of Lent is a place of chaos. In the future, as you feel totally abandoned and alone by God, I pray you don't. But God is a good father. He's trustworthy. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. As you step into that place of deprivation and leanness and seeming lack, remember, friends, from one who has, <laughs> from one who's walked through the wilderness, who's been there, remember that Jesus has gone before you and even now he goes with you. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for the things that you teach us, not just with your words, but with your actions. And that as we suffer, and as we hurt, and as we question and doubt and don't have answers all the time, we know that we can take heart that you are one who questioned, but did not sin, who suffered. You are one who was in that place of chaos in questioning. And you're with us, Lord, so powerfully, even now. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, to you, O Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.